You're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. As you all probably know by now, I'm a huge Danzig fan. Sam Hain is probably my favorite of his different projects. November Coming Fire is my favorite Sam Hain record. It's got my favorite songs on there, and I think it's their coolest record. This week's guest, London May, played on that record. In addition to playing in Sam Hain, one of the most legendary punk, goth, death rock, whatever you want to call them, bands, he's played with a veritable who's who of music, including Exine Cervenka, Rick Agnew, and a list of many, many people. What you might not know is that he's also a very prolific actor and producer of film. He's got a brand new project called Brutal Realty, where he plays the Summoner, a frustrated black metal drummer looking to change his career. If you enjoy the show, please share it on social media, tell your friends about it. If you want to follow me on Facebook, it's Michael Hill. If you want to hit me on Instagram, it's Michael underscore DC underscore Hill. So let's kick things off by talking about this film, Brutal Realty. And uh, how did you come to become the summoner in this film? Um, well, the, the summoner chose me. I don't, I don't, I think with most, um, interesting things in my life, they just kind of grabbed me by the throat and I don't really have a choice. This was, uh, I've been acting for a while as well as playing music, as most people know. And <clears throat> I started, I was playing in a black metal band and I started wearing the corpse paint and kind of getting in the, in that zone for the shows that we were doing. And then I started to incorporate that into some acting, uh, jobs that I had and people seemed to really dig this black metal character that I would show up and do for, you know, these different kind of like student films and things. And one of the directors said, Hey, this summoner guy, there's something really special about him. We should do a whole movie about the summoner. And then I met a, uh, a very talented young writer named Joseph Mueller and I pitched the idea. I said, this guy wants to make a movie about the summoner. Do you want to write a script? And he said, yeah, let me take a crack at it. And he just looked at this whole black metal genre and the horror genre, and he just decided to flip it all on its head. And he came back with this idea that this black metal demon would be so frustrated with his daily grind of you know, playing black metal and summoning chaos that he wanted to break out and follow his dreams of becoming a Beverly Hills real estate agent. And we just thought that that was the fucking funniest, best thing that we'd heard in a long time. And, um, he had, he gave me the script and I just thought that I was, it's like when you, when you hear a song on the radio or you, um, you read a poem and you go, how does this person know me? You know, have you ever heard lyrics and go, wow, they're talking about my life oh, all the time. I mean, that's like a common yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I related to the, to the, 
you know, to the character, especially in his pursuit and failing of trying to follow his dreams. And then, of course, being oppressed and being tried, you know, and being bullied was just something that was really magic to me. And it was effortless to play and to be able to play drums. It really does touch on um, more than just horror, comedy, kind of superficial stuff. There's a lot of deep stuff going on in the movie. And I think, you know, if you're a punk guy, you'll, you'll get a lot of it. Well, that's, um, you know, horror and comedy. It's funny, like at first glance, it may seem unrelated. However, the timing in horror and comedy is very similar. You know, they both rely on, on timing and that sort of thing in the, in the filmmaking process. So, I, you know, it's some, some of my favorite horror films actually have a bit of a, of a darkly humorous uh, bent to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think the stuff that, that, that kind of lets you kind of exhale and kind of grin and smile and chuckle and then, boom, you know, there's, there's kind of the sucker punch, the surprise punch um, is really exciting. I mean, I like full-on stuff, too, that doesn't, that doesn't give you a chance to breathe. You know, you see some stuff and you feel like there's a fucking elephant sitting on your chest. I really like that stuff. But I also like something that's got a little more variety to it. Right, right. So are you, you know, are, like, like uh, the evil, like the Evil Dead movies? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially the first one, man. I remember being I, terrified. Like I was a young kid when I saw the first Evil Dead film, and uh, I watched it in the middle of the day, <laughs> and I was scared to leave the house because I thought I was going to get like you know either murdered or you know possessed by some sort of uh, Lovecraftian like demon demonic entity or something like that. You know? Oh no, I know that that was more scary. The thought of going in the woods was way more scary after that than any other kind of haunted forest movie that I had seen as a kid. You know, what's funny is, um, I mean, did you grow up in a rural setting or like a suburban? I grew setting? up in Baltimore City, right? Um, so, but it was we're it was technically in the city, but there was a lot of a there was a big fucking neighborhood that I lived in that had a lot of fields and streams. And lots of hidden places where I, you know, was up to all sorts of, you know, sneaking out and, and creeping around these, you know, these areas. Yeah, actually, I uh, haven't been, you know, I've been to Baltimore many times over the years. And it's sort of the city does kind of recede into the countryside. So it is kind of easy yeah. to escape, you know. And uh, unlike New York, or you know, where you're you know, boxed in by bridges and tunnels and things like that. Um, but I didn't grow up in New York City. I grew up out in the suburbs, north of the city. And people that I know that are urban, that have gr- grown up in the urban setting, are terrified of the woods. And I, I kind of have to change places with them sometimes. And, and it is a scary place, definitely. Yeah, I love nature, and I love animals, and I love you know, getting out in that setting. And the funny thing is, I think I'm like really balls out and really sturdy and I'm not, (laughs) you know, I'm like, I'm like a camping guy. I think I could last for like a month, you know, out in the wilderness. And I realized that now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a thin skinned city kid. Now, prior to your involvement with punk rock music as, as a young person, you were involved in acting based on some of the information that I've gathered on you. Yes, that is that is correct. I was a real terror growing up, and 
you know, my parents were just kind of at wit's end trying to find something to kind of, uh, you know, uh, lasso, you know, that, that energy that I had, which, you know, if you don't really find a place for a kind of hyperactive kid to channel that, it's going to just, you know, explode and it exploded all the time. And so I remember being like, uh, like super infatuated with the 1977 King Kong movie. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a great um, one. and just one. being really into Jeff Bridges. And I'm just thinking about that now that I was just obsessed with Jeff Bridges. And my parents were like, well, why don't you, why don't we get you to a theater? Why don't you be an actor? That wasn't what, that wasn't what I was thinking. You know, it was more like, Hey, I want to go to Skull Island and find a giant gorilla. They looked at it more practically. It's like, Hey, you should just maybe if you're an actor, you won't be sneaking out of the house anymore. And so they got me involved in some theater stuff when I was a kid. It was great. And I really enjoyed it. And then I started playing drums and then, you know, acting took a backseat for shit like 30 years. Now, before you were in uh, Samhain or Samhain or however you want to, you know, people say it different ways. Samhain's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Samhain's well, fine. Either, I... either way is fine. <laughs> but but um, for us, you know, East Coast <laughs> punk rock guys, we're Samhain. Yeah. Was that the first band that you played in or were there other bands prior to that? No, I was in a, I was in the, the biggest band I played in before that was a, was a band that was on discord called reptile house. Okay. And, um, it was a garage band with, with me and a couple of my friends from Baltimore. And we got to tour, um, we got to tour the U S and play a lot of great shows and do a record with, with Ian McKay. And after I left to play in Sam Hain, uh, the singer went on to form this band called Lungfish. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so, band. you know, everybody knows Lungfish. But before he was in Lungfish, he was in he was the singer for Reptile House. So how did you actually and come to uh, join the band? I was, uh, I joined Sam Hain when I was 17, and I had, I had met Glenn in 1982 when the Misfits had, uh, had come to Baltimore to play a show with one of my pre-Reptile House bands called Trud. Even before Reptile House, I was in other bands, um, a band called Rap, and a band called Trud. And the Baltimore show didn't work out. There was like this, you know, crazy miscommunication and the club never opened, but the Misfits actually came to Baltimore to play their show and <clears throat> ended up hanging out with about 20, 20 of us who had shown up to this show, which never happened. Um, and then I started to promote shows on my own in Baltimore, pretty much just to kind of give my band, um, better chances of being able to play good shows. You know, if you, if you wait around for a record company to put your record out, or you wait around for a movie studio to call you or, you know, um, it's, it's never going to happen. You have to just do stuff on your own. And I really believed in my band. And I was like, well, if I can put on a show myself, I can give us a good, you know, a billing and I can pick and choose who we play with. And once I started promoting shows, I tried my hardest for years to bring Sam Hain to Baltimore. And it took a while. 
And then once they came to Baltimore and we had played with them, we'd also played in Detroit with them as well. Um, I started up, you know, being kind of, I don't know, pestering, <laughs> bugging Glenn because I had Glenn's phone number. And I was such a fan and under the guise of talking about business, I was able to just, you know, call him every couple weeks and chat with him. And he was, you know, he didn't hang up on me. So I felt that that was, you know, kind of a, but it was never my, believe me, I don't say all that to say, yeah. And my idea was to be in Sam Hain. Never. I never thought that I was even, um, you know, would ever be in the running. And we had uh, spoken just randomly at one point before Reptile House was getting ready to go on tour. And he said, Steve has left the band. Why don't you come up and audition? Uh, And I was on a a train like within 48 hours. (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah, I was going to ask you how that's. Boom. I mean, like, like, boom. And here's the thing that that people don't know is because I was such a Samhain fan, I had rented a video camera to tape the Sam Hain concert when they played in Baltimore with Reptile House. And I watched that fucking tape probably 300 times. And so by the time that I went to audition for them, it was like one of those kids who watches, you know, I don't know, a, a Disney movie a hundred times. They just know it. They know exactly how the songs go. And I was able to see Steve play drums and watch this video of him playing the drums. And that's how I learned the songs by watching this, this VHS copy. Man, that's like, uh, so, you know, nowadays there's YouTube, but back then, you know, you had to actually have some sort of physical medium to like do that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if I had, if I had just had the records, I mean, you've heard the records, they're kind of hard to make out. Yeah, exactly. They're, st- stuff's kind of muddy and it's buried and there's all kinds of layers and keyboards and distortion. And I kind of really would have been lost, but I felt that I had an advantage because I had this videotape that nobody else had because I had made it myself. And it was just lots of shots of Steve playing the drums. And I was like, that's how he does that part. That's how he does it. And I would just... For fun, I would practice and just became ingrained. So when he said, come up and audition, it was, I, I got the job. From from just the preparation, the sheer preparation just, just, and will. That yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it was such, it was so mind-blowing to set up and everybody's just kind of muttering to themselves and quietly and, you know, it's not not much energy in the room. And he said, what song do you want to play? And I said, can we play my favorite song, The Howl? Nice. And he said, all right, you start. And I started that drum beat, and the room fucking exploded. I yep. mean, they, they went fucking nuts, and I, had ne- I almost couldn't play, because it was like, it was so, like I was having an out-of-body experience. I was seeing the band and playing in the band at the same time, and I, my, I, you know, I almost just blew in bits. That's awesome, man. One of the things you mentioned earlier, which I feel like is, is um, just vacant nowadays from, just absent from human contact, is that you spoke on the phone, which is like... Man, you isn't know, that wild? It is wild, man, because... Um, 
These days, that analog connection is gone between people, I think. And everything's done by email or messenger. And um, back then, that human, that, that one-on-one connection, I think, is like, I think it actually adds to the human experience. And, you know, I mean, you and I, are, I mean, I'm, I'm an older guy. I've been around for a while. And I just, in general, the kind of vibe that our society has that's kind of moving away from that one-to-one contact you know, I feel like it's a real it's a real shame that people don't communicate like that anymore. Yeah, and it's it's all very transitory and it seems very you make a lot of friends, but where are they gonna be in ten years? Whereas the friends that you made back in the day, the friends that I made back in the day who had to do it over the phone with a with the you know, with a stolen credit card number, you know, for the for the long distance or the flyers that you would send to friends. I still know those people. Yeah, exactly. Or writing letters. You know, I was a big letter writer. I still, yeah, I'm still in contact with those people, you know, 35 years later because the connection, you know, getting a handwritten letter, you know, on the back of a flyer from some kid in Canada, you know, or, or, you know, somebody in Spain, you just, you never forget that stuff, but I will forget a text. If you send it to me right now, I will forget it, you know? Now this might seem like a little superficial, but um, you know, judging from the, your interest in acting at a young age and uh, the theatrical nature of uh, Samhain, you know, was there some sort of uh, was it was it sort of letting you uh, express like multiple sides of your creative, you know, persona? Like you were able to play drums, you were able to like kind of have this macabre, you know, persona. Do you think those things sort of played together? Oh yeah, yeah. It was. It was. You know, musically, um, so exciting because of the, um, you know, I was such a fan of the music and the, the imagery and, of course, the misfits and, you know, all that stuff was, was so, spoke to my musical side. And then certainly my love for horror and my love for theatrics. I mean, it was the perfect opportunity for me to be all that stuff and to create this little beast you know, on stage, because I think you sell those songs because you're sort of, you're really into it, you know? I mean, I've, I've seen it, believe me, I've seen a million Sam Hain cover bands, and it's like, oh, that's pretty cool, but you go, well, what's the difference? It's because, like, I played like I was a fucking little werewolf. Yeah. You know, I played, we were so fucking bloodthirsty, and not as, like, a big pose, like, we're, you know, we're putting on this you know, this musical performance for everybody, we just really just connected with it um, on some deep uh, instinctual level where some people, you know, don't get it. But for me, it really spoke to that part because also in my other bands before and after, I always tried to ramp up the look of the band and how we performed and you know, how exciting I wanted it to be. Um, because after you play in a band like Sam Hain, everything else is kind of pale. Yeah, I can imagine that, you know, definitely. Uh, for me as a fan, um, you know, I love the Misfits, but Sam Hain had like a more of a, a darker, more street sort of, you know, more um, direct connection. And, one of the reasons why I think it resonated with me so much, too, was, was the, uh, you know, I've always been a huge horror fan, comic book reader, all that sort of stuff. And, 
you know, there, there's like a thin line between being, uh, you know, into the fiction, but then also having like stories of Dracula and werewolves and all that sort of stuff, you know, hit you in a way where, you know, I'm not saying I believe that you can become a werewolf, but maybe you can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was one of those kids growing up where it's like, by the light of the day, I was like, yeah, werewolves are fiction. But then like at midnight, I'd be in my room and I'm like, you know, maybe there are, maybe I can become a werewolf or something. And that that sort of like gray area is where Samhain, I think, really existed for a lot of people it was like, yeah, there's definitely the tropes of horror. But then there's also this like deeper element to it, which sort of connects with the collective imagination of a lot of people who are inspired by the like darker subjects and more macabre sort of ideas you know well because i think the sam hain thing went and maybe you can appreciate this i think it went to like a human level yeah. like humans the capacity for humans to be evil exactly you know yeah. like there in in when i think of the howl I think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. Not Lon Chaney and, you know, know, universal monsters. I think of people eating fucking babies. Yeah. I think of people running around thinking that they're animals and they're they're metamorphosing, you know, not in a classic, you know, uh, 1930s way, but almost in this, you know, the evil that humans can do on each other. Uh, is really where I thought Samhain took that that turn down a really dark, scary road. You know, a baby in a meat grinder. I mean, you look at the lyrics, and they're all about violence on humans from humans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to say all of them, but you know what I mean? A lot of it got very grisly and very gory, but not about aliens from space, you know. Yeah, that or... was a departure. That was definitely the departure from the Misfits. That was more of a fantasy element to that, and... You know, like you were saying, Sam Hain had more of this realistic, you know, ultra-violent, realistic sort of vibe. But there also was. Yeah, it went from, like, being, like, um, you know, the black and white Dracula to being a slasher film. Exactly, yeah. That was well put, definitely. Yeah. You know, the original original, uh, logo for Sam Hain was the Jason hockey mask. I didn't know that. Yes. I know the skull came from uh, Chris Starr, the uh, Marvel comic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, like being a huge comic comic book nerd, in my, you know, to this day, actually, that's something that I, you know, I sort of picked up on that. Man, um, me when I jump on the couch with an old book or like an old, you know, seventies horror novel or like a, you know, Tales from the Crypt, it immediately chills me out. Yeah, man, definitely. I was always a big fan of the the Warren black and white comics, like eerie and creepy and all that sort of stuff. You ever check those out? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Man. That's, you know, i not a big superhero fan, but I do love fantasy comics and sci-fi comics and, but old stuff, you yeah. know, a, a graphic novel that's, that's 50 pages, it, it won't hold my attention, but, you know, five pages about, you know, space vampires, you know, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, the 70s, I feel like the late 70s and early 80s, like those big black and white comics, those are the ones because, you know, they, they escaped the comics code, so they're a little gorier, there was like nudity, there was like, you know, more violence in there, and, you know, Vampirella, all the, right. Warren, all the Warren stuff was great, you know, Tomb of Dracula, that was, you know, the Marvel comic Tomb of Dracula, that was awesome too, you know. 
Yeah, if I went to the if I went to the drugstore, and it de- depending on how much money I had, because those were like ten cents more. Yeah, they those were. were like forty five cents, mm-hmm. and it was like fuck. <laughs> you know, gosh, I'm. So, but you know, it's weird. If it was either if I didn't have enough for like the big like Tomb of Dracula, and there was a bunch of Marvel comic books, I'd probably end up getting a Richie Rich comic book. I was super into like like uh Wendy the Witch and Casper. Yeah. Like oh, guy had the weirdest fucking taste. You know, I either wanted to see like Gilligan's Island or I wanted to see, you know, Last House on the Left. <laughs> so this brings us to a uh, ritual, the black metal band. Yeah. So that's how long have you been doing that? How long have you been involved in that band? Well, I did that for about a year and a half and I had to step away when we started working on um, on Brutal Realty last year. And I am playing in another band right now, Rituals. You know, they put a great record out last year that I thought was, you know, I thought it was fucking great. We made a video for it. Um, you know, we played some good shows. And then I went, uh, I went on tour last year with another band. And you know, I just wasn't able to keep fitting it in, but I definitely credit ritual with like really kickstarting this whole thing, uh, with the summoner and, you know, reigniting my passion for black metal and certainly that drumming style and certainly, you know, the, the aesthetic that goes into that. Yeah. You've been playing, you played with a lot of different people, man. And some of them are like my favorite artists, like Exine Cervenka, Rick Agnew, um, oh, right on, man. Well, yeah. thank you. That that is, uh, um, <clears throat> I mean, it sucks because I sometimes I go, God, I wish I could just been in one band for my whole life or two bands, but it just doesn't seem. I, I guess it's probably be the same thing with an actor. They'd be like, Wow, I wish I could just be on one series for like my whole life, but like acting, I had just have a lot of different credits for a oh, lot yeah. of different projects. Um, and it's been really, really great to be able to work with, with so many different people that are my idols. You know, I'm coming up, you know, as a kid, you know, reading and listening to records, you know, with these people. And then, you know, I mean, Glenn, well, I mean, it started back in Reptile House, you know, making a record with Ian Mackay blew my mind. And then it just kind of went from there is that, uh, you know, it is possible to, to work with people that you admire you know yeah that's that's a pretty cool thing man i mean you know especially exine i mean x were like one of my entry points in the punk rock back when i was a kid. oh totally right you know how fucking rad is wild gift oh it's amazing and that's you know under the big black sun is probably my favorite um more fun of the new oh, world hungry wolf's on that record exactly Fuck there you yeah. go man. hungry wolf that's like that's my jam and that was like you know the cramps uh gun club and x you know, oh and, man, you're right there. But back, is, you know, back in like the '80s, you kind of got this stuff, and like, you know, they would, they would, they would find, they would find their way to you. Like, you couldn't just go onto like Apple Music and type in like punk rock. You had to kind of, someone had to introduce you to something. Then they told you about another thing. Then you found out that the guitar player in this band played in like Christian Death or whatever. And then you kind of found out about things slowly. And and it was it was organic, and you trusted people that if they said this record's good, you know, you'd be flipping through records and your buddy would be flipping through records, you'd pull one out and be like, hey, dude, you heard this? Yeah. This rules. And you'd be like, whoa. Yeah. So you know, because was... then at that point, 
you bought a record for fucking eight bucks, you went home and listened to the fucking whole thing. Exactly. You know, they weren't just like, you know, on your subscription service, like cycling through various things. Skimming that... through it and, and, and you don't sit down and play a record and then play on your phone. You, you actually fucking listen to it. That's, I mean, hey, I'm not perfect either, but I remember back in the day, and I don't want to say, you know, kids are doing it wrong, you know, these days. I mean, it's a, it's a different world you know, than when, when we were kids, you know, I think that you can, it's a tough world for everybody. You can probably try it both ways. I think these days, which is kind of good is that you can preview some things, but I think that the idea of, of putting some work in and finding a physical thing to, to enjoy is there's a lot of value in that. I think it, it sort of exercises parts of your brain that might not be exercised by the digital onslaught of everything, you know? Yeah. Well, I'd like, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of a fetishist, you know what I mean? Like, I like tactile things. I like books, you know, and I like, um, I like reading stuff, and I, I, I like reading more than sometimes, you know, watching stuff, and I like having a conversation more than, than reading, you know, an email. Yeah. You know, there's, there's just, I think people, everybody has different ways of, of getting information and what works with them best, you know. And uh, yeah, I have I have way too many books and way too much shit around my house that is just, you know, why do I have, why do I still have, you know, 15,000 CDs? I don't know, <laughs> yeah. you know. I don't <laughs> like, even have a CD player well, these days yet. I still have all these discs. Yeah, you know, my girlfriend, I'm like, oh, you got to listen to the CD. She's like, honey, I don't have a CD player. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> like you couldn't, remember like you'd make a mixtape on a cassette yeah. and then you were like, wow, make a mixtape on a CD. You can't even do that anymore. No. No, you can't. It's a lost art, you know. Yeah. So back to the acting. Um, you were on uh, the Batman. You were Christopher Nolan's. Um, which which Batman film are you on? Uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Okay, yeah. So what was that like? That must have been a trip. Um, it was a real shock. They were they were holding um, you know an open casting uh, call here in L.A. and I had just kind of started dabbling back in acting and a buddy of mine, I didn't even have access to the, um, to the announcement for it, but my buddy did. And he said, you know, you're, you're a fucking fan. You know, I'm going to this, you should go. And I was like, well, I'm not, I don't have an agent. I don't have a, a headshot. I don't have this. I don't have that. And he goes, well, you should just go anyway, just crash it. And I did. And I got a part as a courtroom thug and I went and I was on set for just one day and the scene that I got to shoot with Gary Oldman got cut. Oh, wow. So that was, but you know, like I I look back and I go, wow, don't fucking complain about what you didn't get because it was, you know, it was a dream come true to just to even be there, you know, and to be on set for, you know, for 12 hours with Bane and with, um, uh, you know, the Scarecrow. And I, Batman was not there. Uh, Christian Bale was not there for that day of shooting. Mm-hmm. But um, so I have so I didn't make the final cut, except you can hear a word that I yell. <laughs> I yelled I yelled death really, really fucking loud. Um, and I took my son and my best friend to see it the night that it came out, you know, really pumping them up. Like your dad is in the new fucking Batman film. 
And I was just like, boy, I was walking around like, you know, like my feet were touching the fucking ground. And then the scene came up and it went and it moved on. And I was like, fuck, I got cut out. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know. So uh, with That's all of the, your uh, your acting credits, aside from your role as the summoner, who who is like, what's your, some of your favorite acting credits that you have under your belt right now? Uh, let's see. Um, the there's some uh, you know a lot of the, the 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 TV stuff and the movie stuff is all kind of smaller. Usually they're criminal roles. Usually it'll be like a. Um, uh, you know, like one of those reenactment series. Um, there's a couple things in there. The the stage stuff, the the theater stuff, is where I really get kind of warm and fuzzy about um, because that's where things come alive more for me. Like a, you know, like a live show. Yeah. Well, that's you know, what I, I love was making thinking. movies. I was thinking but that it yeah, would be like playing live because you you really have yeah, like and it shot. really is, and things move fast, and you got to pick up your cues, and it's just so stressful but exhilarating at the same time, and you get much more freedom. You know, you're not you have a stage, or you've got a certain kind of place to play. You don't you're not rooted to one spot because that's where the camera is. You know, um, and you can be bigger. You know, I learned from being you know, in bands is that bigger is better, is that you have to play for the back row, you know. So it's more natural for me to be bigger on stage. When you're doing film and TV work, everything has to be turned down so dramatically. Yeah, you know, because there's more subtlety, they, they, I guess. Like if, It's if, more if subtlety, camera, and they yeah. pick up the, the smallest, most intricate expressions are magnified. And so it's kind of like... You know, you got to use your your really quiet indoor voice. Mm -hmm. But if you're, which is great, and which is which totally works in film and TV. But on stage, whether you're in a band or whether you're, you know, doing a play, you can fucking play your drums loud. You can fucking really belt out your lines because you're in a theater. You know, um, so I liked doing um, this show I did about two years ago called the tension experience okay which darren bousman from the saw franchise directed mm -hmm. and he's actually doing the new saw movie and darren came up with this idea of he wanted to do an immersive theater piece where people would come in thinking they were seeing a play but it was all kind of a uh, very uh it's all a trick and it's all, I mean, people signed on knowing that we were really going to try to fuck with them. And so people knew that what they were getting into was that we were trying to really um, uh, break them out of their comfort zones. And so there's a lot of interactions and a lot of improv with the people um, watching the play and being involved in the play. And it was a, it was a moving play that took place, you know, in a, in a, in a warehouse and then part of the really crazy thing is that we would take them we would kidnap them and take oh, them off site in the back of a van oh man wow okay with fucking guns and shit <laughs> and people were it fucked people up yeah totally i because could you imagine would, that <laughs> you yeah you would go like okay this is getting too much you know this is where the thing is 
is that people were given a safe word, is that if any time they felt too uncomfortable or too out of control, that they could use the safe word and the whole would shut down. Oh, wow. Okay. And you would have, you have had 60 cast members and it was like a block long facility, you know, this giant facility and everybody was wired up, you know, with walkie talkies. And there was always like, you know, people kind of hiding out to kind of control things. And if at any time somebody tapped out, the whole thing would shut down. And so we, with the, with the crew that I was in, our goal every night was to get people to tap out because then we knew we were really doing our job right. Wow. Um, and uh, it was just so exciting, and I got killed every night. Like, part of my, part of my role was that I was the, the ringleader of this, this cult that had come in to rescue these people from this other cult. And I, we get, uh, we would get ambushed later on and then I get killed. I get killed in front of all these people. What were the effects like during that? You know, like was all practical, all very fucked up. I would get my head smashed in, uh, every night. And I don't want to tell you how we did it, but it was like, it would make your fucking stomach churn. For, uh, for lack of a better term. I'm going to say that that's pretty extreme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what, and I did that 200 times. Wow. And it was like, you would, by the time that they would, you know, cause it was all timed and it would be like, all right, you guys are on in, in four minutes, you know, three minutes, and you would just sit there and run in place because the time that you interacted with those people, you were already like your heart rate was already like through the fucking roof. You know, it sounds, if a uh, person runs in and they're fucking stressed, you get panicked. Yeah. We wanted people to panic, you know, to fucking, uh, you know, to really give them that experience. And it was, uh, it was, it really trained me uh, in improv and in practical effects and hustle and just super hustle, you know. It sounds and so now pretty, when uh, I go and I make a movie, it's like fucking nothing, you know? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of downtime and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, between, you know, you're sitting or standing around a lot. I mean, I've never really acted. I mean, I've I've never acted. <laughs> I've been in front of a camera before. I've done some stuff on sets, and I do know that when you're filming things, there's a lot of waiting around and standing. There's a, yeah. Eating, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, when we made the brutal realty movie, it was done so fast that there wasn't fucking time to breathe. And that, that I think also created a really kind of electric vibe to it was that we just did not have the, um, you know, we didn't have the budget to allow for a lot of sitting around, you know, when one thing was, was finished, another thing picked up, or there were two things going at once. It was all, you know, you try to squeeze as much out of like a small budget as you can. And a lot of that just means you have to hustle, you know, and that you've just got people, you know, you're, and you also only have one or two takes before you're just, you're, you're running into the next scene. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not like Kubrick where you can be like, all right, we've got one day to shoot this. And if we go over, no big deal. Like, if something fucks up or if you drop a line, you might get one more chance to do it before we just have to fucking move on. And that's the way that these, 
these, you know, kind of like making a record in the old days. That's what I was going to say. You didn't have, yeah. yeah, you know, or the mistake stays, you know. Because, um, yeah, records in the old days, you had a couple passes at a song and then that was it. You had one night or one weekend to make a whole fucking record. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that Who's Could You made Zen Arcade like over the course of an evening or something like that. So yeah, like know. just li- like first takes. Yeah, it's insane you know? to think that, but I guess it's is true. It's fuck- and how fucking exciting is that fucking record? Well, that's the you know, thing. Something, something I learned today, yeah. boom. You, you can, know, you can feel like the energy in that, in that, in the tension in in that song because probably yeah. the way they recorded it, you know. Yeah, no overdub. Spot recorded that. Did all the Black Flag stuff. Did Earth AD. You know, just like live, set it up. I hope you're rehearsed because we're going. <laughs> with with uh, brutal realty, you were saying that you were here in Brooklyn. So the the film is being sh- what's the what's the story behind that? I mean, is it being shown in like like limited theaters or what? You know, explain because I two weeks ago I didn't even hear about it. I didn't even and I was yeah, aware well, of that, we, the whole thing. Well, we I wish I had known because I would have I would have hipped you to it because yeah. uh, last Tuesday the thirtieth we okay so we entered this film into a lot of film festivals right. And right out of the gate, we got accepted into the Troma Dance Film Festival, which screens in Brooklyn. Awesome. Um, and we went, to, I actually went to Brooklyn, uh, me and the director um, and the DP of the movie went to Brooklyn to prepare it and do a Q&A. Um, oh, shit, I wish I remembered the name of the venue. It's called the, um, the $3 Bill. So they did, they, did the, they did Troma Dance at the $3 Bill, and then we ended up winning Best of Troma Dance, and so they had an encore screening last Tuesday at this place called the um, Cinema Noir, Noir. Oh um, yeah, film Actually, Noir Cinema. You know something that was where they showed they showed Lords of Chaos there um, back yes. when that came out a while ago. Yeah. Okay. So that's where it. That's where they had the encore screening just last weekend. Yeah, man. See, so many things happen in this city that you just don't even know about, and you wish you'd gone. Wow. Okay. Well, I I I understand, and so and we also played in Chicago and won there, and now we're waiting on some other festivals that are uh, that will kind of start picking back up in the fall because there's kind of a a, law, a lag time from a couple of these early summer festivals and then it picks up again and hopefully we'll be traveling with the film um you know all through the fall and then going right into production of the movie nice is there a way that people listening to this show can stream the film even if it's like behind a paywall or something like that yeah we're not doing well the the problem is uh these film festivals are real specific about um, you know, there are requirements for these films. Right. And for the time being, we can't show it publicly. We can't, unless it's at a festival. And then even within the festivals, they're very territorial. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. You know, they're like, everybody wants to premiere. Yeah, I gotcha. Everybody wants to premiere. So if we play, so there's three or four festivals here in LA. And if we get into one of them, we can't play at the other festivals. Um, and so, and it's not only that something, you know, like when you play, yeah, they, they want exclusivity. They want exclusivity. And also part of it is that 
it can't be shown publicly and it, you know, outside of a festival and it can't be streamed. Um, so the only thing that I tell people is to please keep an ear out um, and an eye out for any horror festivals in your uh, in your area because we may be coming to your town. Um, check the BrutalRealtyFilm.com website, uh, the Facebook page, which is Brutal Realty Film, Instagram, Brutal Realty, Twitter is Brutal Realty, um, and contact us. If there is something that we've missed, we want to come to people's towns. We want, if somebody says, hey, we've got this, this little horror festival here in Birmingham, Alabama, and we'd love to have your movie play, we totally want to show it there. You know, we're, we're a DIY heavy metal punk rock movie that we want to make sure that people get a chance to see. Um, and so the, the trailer is up, which you've seen the trailer. Yeah. is, And then the, you know, they just have to kind of, you know, keep an eye out on our, on our websites for where we'll be playing next. Yeah. Guys out there, definitely check this out. It's, um, I mean, if you listen to the show, you probably, you know, dig what we're talking about. It's, it's like horror, black metal, comedy you know just like social commentary a little bit of that you know some like uh, deep emotional stuff in there so definitely visit those uh those sites and uh and give some support if you guys can halloween is right around the corner and uh i think um i also based on some research that i've done discovered that you're in danzig's veronica film which i believe is doing yeah. around halloween too yeah yeah it's um it's played in Chicago and it's played here in LA and the idea I believe is to have it have some more premieres around the country, you know, movie theater, um, showings. And then the last I heard is that they're doing this VOD video on demand thing Mm -hmm. on Halloween. Let me say this. I would encourage everybody to go see it at a movie theater and take your friends. Well, that's how I'm Um, planning to see it, it for sure. Definitely. Yeah. It really works you know, in a, it really works in a social environment because I think, uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to see it, you know, at home on a computer or something, but boy, uh, do your, do yourself, you know, uh, a favor and see it on the big screen because it is really, um, it's something else. It's something else to see. Cause it's, I haven't seen anything like it. And it is, uh, and, and hearing the audience just respond to stuff is, uh, it's something else. I'm really proud to have been part of it. I know Glenn's working on another movie, um, and hopefully I'll be part of that. And hopefully Glenn will have something to do with the Brutal Realty movie as well. Yeah, that, hopefully that those seems, worlds can continue to intersect. That seems like, yeah, it seems like a no-brainer to me, but, you know, everyone's got their thing, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, and also out there, you guys listening, uh, it's... I don't know if it's directly or loosely based on any of this, but Glenn Danzig had the Veronica comic line several years ago, which uh, I believe there's some influence in the film from those those uh, those graphic uh, you know novels and comics and things. Yeah, he's actually still doing Veronica. He's doing it. You know, it's been what like twenty or twenty five years now that he's been doing his own comic book company. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the stories are from his comic books. So the the three uh, stories in the movie are based on three comic book stories. Cool. So if you follow his comics, it's like the comics coming to life. And actually, the comics really, the the actual panels 
if you know the comics, well, the panels of the comic books is what they used as the storyboards. That makes sense. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. You know, because it's already there. Yeah. You know, you're like, yep, let's make it look like this. And so when we were filming, that was his storyboard was actually the comic books. And he would he'd open up the comic and he'd say, okay, the next scene looks like this. That's awesome. And he would just point to the, you know, to the illustration. And the, the dialogue is the little cartoon bubbles. I mean, that's, uh, it makes a lot of sense to me, man. Especially like if, you know, he's, he directed this as well too, right? Yeah. And he, and he, and he wrote and directed the comics. Yeah. Well, that, well, I, you know, I knew that. Um, anyone out there who hasn't read those, Glenn writes, he writes all this stuff too. So. <laughs> right. Is it pretty obvious, right? Yeah, you know, and, and, um, <laughs> die motherfucker. Yeah. Who wrote that? Do Shocker. You, uh, Glenn did. <laughs> are you, are you, um, do you get murdered? Do you kill anyone? Is there any, you know, what, what's your part in the film? You know, I have, I have a small cameo and boy, did I have to beg for that? I, (laughs) I, I bugged Glenn for years to be, you know, involved with, with one of his movie plans. Cause this is, believe me, this has been at least 10 years in the making. Oh yeah. Probably more than that. I remember hearing about this. I remember hearing about this at least 10 years ago. Definitely like at least 10 years ago, right? Probably more than maybe 20 years ago. He's always had his eye on making a film. And whenever it came up, I was always like, you know, Ooh, ooh, Mr. Carter over here, you know, put me in your movie, (laughs) you know? And I would send him, I'd be like, Hey, I did this, did this new film. I'm doing a play. And I'm always inviting him to stuff and I'm sending him, you know, my reels. I'm just like, please, you know, I hope you'll consider me. And he did me a favor and he gave me one line. <laughs> hey, man. You know, that's still pretty, pretty goddamn badass if you ask me, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it really comes down to, you know, if you, um, uh, you know, it's our relationship, you know, it's just always like me wanting. I just think he's the coolest and I'm always, you know, trying hard to, um, you know, he inspires me. It's like, Hey, he's like, I want to make a classical record album. You know, I want to make a movie. I want to make a comic book. And I'm just like, fuck man. And he does it. Well, and so when I think of all the people who talk about doing stuff in this town who don't do it, you know, I look at Glenn and go, man, the guy's still fucking doing it, you know? I mean, to this day, Glenn Danzig continues to be a huge inspiration for me creatively and, and, and a lot of other aspects of my life, too. I mean, I've always, ever since I was a, a young lad, I've been a huge fan of the Misfits. Sam Haynes my favorite, and of course, all the Danzig records, and just his whole approach to how he creates music, I think, is really, really inspiring, you know? So, I mean, I'm always going to be a fan. I embrace the whole oeuvre of stuff that he does, you know what I mean? So I'm really looking forward to checking this thing out around Halloween. Hopefully, like I said, I you know here in New York we get things. I have a couple of ideas of where this might show, and I'm definitely going to check this out live in person, in front of a big screen, and just enjoy it. Exactly, and and you have to kind of put your preconceived notions aside, you know, because this is Glenn's world. This is really Glenn's expression of 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 his universe through his eyes and once you kind of get into that you go okay this is not a normal movie this is not a hollywood movie this is very arty and it's 
you know, it's absurd at times, and it's uh, it's just really seeing, you know, a part of him that is that he's let us see, you know. And if you want to be a snob about, oh, the production on his records are this, or his movie is that, it's just like, well, you know, go listen to fucking Nickelback. You know, go watch a Disney movie. You yeah. know, this is not made for you. You know. No, and, is, and that's, that's and it's, exactly what I, what I respect about, about Danzig. You know, it's whole, it's, it's very much like this vision, you know. Yeah, and if you don't like it, that's cool. Because he doesn't give a shit. And that's very empowering. And that is his biggest superpower is that he literally doesn't give a shit what you think and it's a very very special place to be because even people who have self-confidence they always worry a little bit you know they want to they want to people please you know people but boy he doesn't he doesn't and that is you know that is something to admire is there anything uh, on the horizon for you musically uh, yes, I have a, a new band that's um, going in the studio this month. Uh, it's called Symbolism, and it's uh, I've been doing it now for about uh, about a year and a half, and we're finally getting ready to make our first record. And it's uh, the lineup is killer, and we haven't said anything about it because um, the time wasn't right. And now it's time to talk about symbolism. It's me and Rick Agnew oh, and man. James McGurdy from Christian death. Yeah. And boy, did we find the greatest front man, uh, that I've had the pleasure of working with in a long time. This, this guy named Devix. And it has really just, uh, just kind of exploded. We had, we've been working on music for a while and then we got, um, this referral for this singer and he came in and just, you know, uh, he really, really blew us away. And so we, I think that was, that was probably a couple months ago. And so we just kind of fast tracked everything to say, okay, we need to get this fucking record made. Wow, man. So London May and Rick Agnew, that's, uh, I'm, I'm on board. Definitely. You know? Yeah, it's definitely very, it's Christian death, but it's really cracked out. It's a lot faster. It's a lot more um, intricate, but it's the same. It's it's death rock. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of hard to not for yeah. it not to be death rock, but yeah, it's just really organic. Let me say, it's just really organic, that's and awesome. it's it's very. It doesn't sound like anything, and what. I had imagined the vocals were going to sound like this guy came in and just threw the fucking rule book away. I'm excited. I can't wait to, to check yeah, it out. Yeah, so so am I, man. Well, thanks for asking because I, I really i i think it's um, i think it's going to stoke a lot of people out, and um, I, I can't wait to have something to uh, to play for people. Have you ever thought about uh, you know fronting a band or singing or any of that kind of stuff? Um. Yeah, if I could, if I felt confident in my vocals. I mean, I listen to a lot of fucking music where the singers, you know, they're not great. For some reason, I'm really caught up in like, you've got to be a great singer. And I'd say 80% of the fucking music I listen to, the singers are not great. They just have attitude. Yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board they, with that too, definitely. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? But for some reason, I'm like, oh, you know, 
I can't hit my scales or I might be, you know, sharp. I might be flat. It's like none of that shit fucking matters, you know, in the kind of music that I really like. Um, so it's, I'm pretty stoked on playing drums and acting. You know? Well, I mean, that's, that's a full plate really. I mean, especially with the, the project you got going on. Well, the, the cool thing is that the, the brutal realty movie is that when we go and, uh, introduce the movie, I, I go in character. I go dressed as the character. I get to do stand up. And that for me is like being a singer for a band. I get to go out and introduce the film, interact with people in character and, you know, talk about the movie and make a lot of bad jokes. And, you know, if I try to do something different every couple of years where I really, you know, I just walk that plank and I hope that there's something underneath me, you know, doing stand up is like this year's like huge challenge. Um, so never say never to being a lead singer, but you know, um, it could happen because I never thought I'd be doing this stuff that I'm doing these days. You mentioned stand-up. Didn't you do some improv training at one point? In your I career? did. I did. I did improv training. You know, when you're when you're with a uh, a, a team, you know, with yeah. a with an improv group. But actually, you know, going up and and by yourself in front of a couple hundred people and, uh, it's a whole nother. But you know what? All of this stuff is only because there was nobody else to do it. Yeah. You know, so much of this stuff was, is just born out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Like our director wasn't going to go up and introduce the film. He doesn't want to be in front of the camera. That's why he's behind the camera. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was like, well, you know, if you really want to kick things off, you should go up there and get people excited. Well, how do I do that? You... I don't know. Tell some fucking jokes. Be fucking crazy. Be entertaining. And that's when it was like, okay, give me a week. And I had the guy who wrote the script come up with some jokes for me. And, and then just like everything, you just rehearse it. <laughs> and you, you kind of throw in some other stuff too, right? Is it just sort of like a framework or, you know? Or yeah, yeah, it's a framework. And then every town, you know, I try to do a little, you know, I've tried to make a New York one, I tried to do a Chicago one, and then there's a Q and A. Um, I'm going to be interviewed for a TV show. And they kept asking for, you know, we want to talk to London. And I was like, if you want to talk about the movie on camera, I'm coming in character. That's pretty awesome. You know, and then I speak with the growl and I just, you know, I answer everything, you know, from, from his perspective. And it's, it's a fucking big risk because you can really look lame, but I don't know. I'm kind of bored with being myself, you know, I mean, it's great to talk to you about this stuff, but any chance that I can get to kind of break out of that, you know, it's a lot funner for me and a lot more exciting and hopefully, um, you know, people get a kick out of it instead of just another, you know, interview with some guy who made a movie or is in a band. I mean, yeah, well, that's cool and all, but you remember the movie uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer? You know, the oh, Michael Rooker film. So now I, I yeah. heard, I read that Rooker showed up for his audition in character. As, well, yeah, yeah, I think that's fucking awesome, man. Because it's like that's man. I got to tell you that the more stuff that I do, and the once once you get something going with your acting career, it really emboldens you to 
you know, dig a little deeper and take a chance, you know, and you, you walk a fine line between like freaking people out and also exciting people. But, you know, I've got some auditions next week for some really grim crime stuff. Mm-hmm. And you better fucking believe that I'm going to come in there like fucking psycho. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's the way to do it, I imagine, you know, just go all in like Be- that. Well, yeah, you go all in because you know what? You might not get it for a million different yeah. reasons, but at least you go, I had a fucking good time. <laughs> you know, I, I fucking, I, 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 I felt that they were, you know, freaked out, you know, because you might not get something because you're too tall or you're too short or you're not, you know, friendly with the director's uncle or, you know, a zillion fucking reasons. So the only person that you can kind of stoke out is yourself. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think, like I said, I've never acted, but that would be a really interesting and fun way to approach the whole audition process. Because I think that if, if you don't do that and you just obsess over it, I feel like that could lead down like a very depressing path. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Fuck, man. Mike, if I told you the thousands of auditions that I did not get that I thought that I crushed on and, you know... These days, I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to go try to have fun. And and that's the best that you can do because so many things are out of your control. You know, kind of like if you're going to be in a band, make sure you're getting off. Make sure you're enjoying it. If you're doing your podcast, make sure you're, you're interviewing people that stoke you out, that are interesting to you. Yeah, otherwise there's no point in doing it, you know? Yeah, you yeah. know? I mean, like, it's, you know, I'm never going to fucking, you know, make a living off of what I'm into. So I've got to do it because I like doing it and it, and it, uh, you know, keeps me from fucking getting into trouble. Well, I think like a lot of things in life, like when you remove like expectation, you know what I mean? It kind of gives you this like freedom. Um, you know, like a lot of people, you know, playing in bands and whatnot, they all have this idea where they want to go and this plan. And, you know, if we do this tour, then this door open, you know, if you have all those like, expectations and one thing doesn't fall in place it's like your whole world can get shattered you know what i mean but if you go in there and take everything at face value you're just like okay this is good this is good this other thing's good that wasn't so much fun i'm not going to do it again and you have like this freedom (laughs) right this freedom you know what i mean and that's kind of like i think one of the more healthier attitudes to have about all this stuff because it is so subjective you know well, it's tough because I will definitely admit that I get really caught up in expectations and yeah. I have to like, oh, I have to dial that back and take a deep breath. Like we had some really great, great, great news about the film today, mm-hmm. but it's not for sure. And it's just <laughs> speculation. But boy, am I fucking, you know, doing somersaults and fucking high fiving myself. And I'm like, man, just stay cool. You know, yeah. it's not happy. You know, it's just, it's great to get good news. I don't like people who you give good news to, even if it's, you know, even if it may not happen and they're, they totally shit on everything. That's you the know? other side of be, that is that weird self deprecating thing that just borders on like this very negative, like sort of aspect. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's never going to happen. Why do you get excited? Don't jinx it. I'm like, man, this world sucks. Any little morsel of of good news that I can get, I'm gonna fucking favor it, you know. 
And if it doesn't work out, well, then fuck, it doesn't work out. But I'm certainly going to, like, you know, really squeeze every little bit of, of you know, excitement and energy out of the smallest thing. Um, because you never fucking know, you know, this, that may be the, the best news that you ever get in your life. Yeah. You know, even if it doesn't work out, it's better than not doing anything because you're worried about rejection. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we can get hit you by a, a, you know, a comet at midnight tonight, you know, and it could all end for everybody, you know, so you might as well yeah. like, enjoy what you're doing at the time, you know? Absolutely. Fortune favors the bold man. Absolutely. Yeah. Just fucking got to go for it. Two That's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.